This program has been made possible through the support of Vanda, creators of solutions for non-24 disorder. ACB thanks Vanda for their support. Learn more about non-24 by visiting their website at www.non24.com. Opinions expressed on ACB radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hello, and welcome to the Guide Dogs for the Blind event, Barking Up the Aisle. My name is Katie Frederick, and I am a board member of the American Council of the Blind, and I'm kicking off this session. And as we get started... I would like to give the opening CEU code for the session for those who are receiving those. So the opening CEU code for this session is 10118. Again, that opening CEU code is 10118. And at this time, I would like to turn the presentation over to Teresa Stern from Guide Dogs for the Blind. So welcome, Teresa. All right. Thanks, Katie. And welcome, everyone. Um, we're just waking up over here on the West Coast, but so glad you could join us. Um, usually at um, the ACB convention conference, we ha- we host um, a breakfast. But instead of food for our bellies today, uh, we'll be having some food for thought, which is, I think, probably great. Um, our uh, Rabia Dow, who is our Director of Outreach and Advocacy at Guide Dogs for the Blind, suggested this amazing topic and gathered this incredible panel of experts to talk to us a little bit about the air carrier access um, new ruling uh, regarding service animals or service dogs. And um, and I think it'll be just great for us to, to get more information um, so that we can all work together to make sure that this whole new situation works well for everyone. So I am going to put myself on mute and turn it over to Rabia Dow. Thank you, Teresa, and good morning, everybody. Um, we're here again virtually, just like last year, I guess. Um, we're uh, nonetheless um, ready for a big event here today. Um, as you know, we've been dealing with um, this whole issue of the ACAA and service animal rule uh, for the last uh, six months now, since January. I know many of you have concerns and have contacted many of us on this panel uh, with questions and uh, there's some confusion about this stuff. Um, Today's event is really meant to bring the uh, significant parties in this issue, including the consumers, who are obviously all of you here today, to um, put our heads together and make sure that we're all all aware of each other's concerns and efforts, uh, how this ACAA implementation is going and what needs to be addressed. Um, So um, we have four speakers. And it's going to be moving relatively quickly. Uh, We'll take questions after the speakers are all done. We'll let you know when that is. Um, So let's get going with the first speaker. We're really happy to have Yvonne with us. 
representing DOT, and I'm going to let him introduce himself and give us a brief update from their perspective on how the implementation is going. Devon? Okay, thank you very much, uh, Robbie and, and Teresa, and uh, it's great to see um, everyone uh, here. Um, I uh, am just uh, joined as well by uh, one of my esteemed colleagues, um, although it, it looks like it's she is labeled as uh, my name. Uh, her name is Megan Johnson. She is a, uh, a senior attorney in the office, and uh, she is our uh, DOT expert on uh, the U.S. Department of Transportation Traveling by Service Animals rule. Um, I'm hoping also to be joined by uh, Alex uh, Tade, who is our director of uh, civil rights advocacy in the office. Um, he um, works with um, the analysts that are in the Office of Aviation Consumer Protection that um, really are the face of the office to um, industry and um, to um, uh, individuals uh, with disabilities, and he oversees a team of analysts that um, that uh, handle all the questions and, and conduct the investigations. Not sure if he'll be able to join. Uh, he just sent me a text saying that uh, he's having some issues with the link. So uh, without further ado, I will go ahead and get started. I wanted to uh, just really talk quickly uh, about uh, the provisions of the rule. Um, there's a lot that's been happening, um, it, it, and that can go without saying. Um, you know, COVID-19 was certainly an unexpected event, um, which uh, stopped uh, a lot of um, individuals from being able to travel on airlines. Um, and you know, for folks that had a lot of um, that that were in vulnerable um, uh, categories, um, really had a severe impact. Um, during that time frame, uh, the department had continued uh, its work uh, addressing issues related to uh, the old service animals rule. And there were quite a number of those issues that were brought to our attention by both uh, airlines and airports. Um, ACB has been, a, uh, has been an excellent partner with DOT for many years and um, other advocacy organizations as well. Uh, as well as uh, members of the public. Um, there were a slew of issues uh, that were very tough to, uh, to address. And uh, in the end, um, the department uh, made some tough calls and, um, and uh, came out with a rule that um, uh, we think, um, you know, uh, provides airlines with, uh, with the tools necessary and also at the same time protects consumers. Um, so, the um, the new rule uh, traveling by air with uh, with service animals was uh, uh, posted in the uh, Federal Register uh, in December on December tenth, twenty twenty, and uh, became effective on uh, January January eleventh uh, of this year. Um, and the perhaps the biggest uh, change in the rule is the definition of a service animal. Um, previously, um, the definition of a service animal included uh, other animals, that the, but the department um, uh, wanted to uh, more closely align, and that was based upon a lot of input as well from stakeholders, the uh, definition of a service animal uh, to that of the ADA. And uh, the new definition is uh, 
a dog, regardless of breed or type, that's individually trained to work or perform tasks for the benefit of a qualified individual with a disability, including physical, sensory, psychiatric, intellectual, or other mental disabilities. It's um, worth noting that um, the rule no longer uh, includes emotional support animals uh, within the definition of a service animal. Uh, however, that does not preclude an airline from accepting uh, emotional support animals on board aircraft. Um, and the rule permits airlines now to, uh, to treat emotional support animals as pets. Um, so there's been question too about how an airline can determine if a dog is a service animal. Um, one of the concerns is always uh, individuals that want to uh, try to pass off their pets as uh, service animals. And this serves to uh, the detriment, not only of, of the airline, but it also can, um, can cause issues for individuals with, uh, with legitimate service animals, um, as it could cause uh, you know, people to, to question whether or not those animals are legitimate service animals. And under the rule, it allows the airlines to do three things when it, when it's, uh, uh, when it, when a passenger brings to it a, uh, a service animal. Uh, the first thing they can do is, is ask. Uh, they can ask two questions. Um, um, they can ask the person, is the animal required to uh, accompany the service um, animal user because of a disability? Uh, and they can also ask what work or task the animal has been trained to perform. Um, and again, this is um, allowed to uh, permit uh, the, the, the airline to uh, determine uh, whether or not this is a service animal. They can also uh, observe the animal's behavior to see if it's behaving properly. Uh, and they can also look at things, and, and these are probably less, um, um, less uh, in terms of proof, uh, they're probably lower on the totem pole. Um, um, uh, but they can take note of physical indicators such as harnesses, leashes, or vests. Um, the rule also um, clarifies how many service animals that uh, individuals can bring on board. We had circumstances where airlines had uh, come to us over many years of the old service animal rule uh, asking uh, how many? I've got somebody here that has five service animals. Uh, do we have to take all five service animals on board the airplane? Um, and what we had done as a matter of policy is uh, um, said to airlines, you know, in our enforcement discretion and as a matter of policy, uh, we, we are not going to enforce the rule to uh, require you to take more than two. And this current rule now um, codifies that into the regulation. Um, in terms of uh, size, um, this is something that um, that we've heard um, from both airlines and individuals with disabilities on is, you know, um, what if I have a big service animal? Um, and the airline, the, the rule permits airlines to require, and it's permissive, um, to require that the service animal sit, uh, fit on the passenger's lap or in the passenger's foot space without encroaching, encroaching onto another passenger space. Um, under the old rule, um, this was not crystal clear and the department had issued some guidance that wasn't necessarily 
um, enforceable under the old rule, uh, indicating that, hey, you know, if a little bit goes over, you know, airlines, you must uh, allow that. Um, but uh, under, you know, under the law, under the, the American, uh, under the um, um, uh, under the rulemaking laws, um, um, the department has to issue notice and comment and issue clear rules that that explain to airlines and members of the public what's actually required and what their rights and responsibilities are. So here, the department cl- clarified that and uh, made it clear that airlines can require it to uh, an animal or in the case of two service animals to fit on the passenger's lap and or in the foot space. Um, however, the rule does not say that that's, that's the end all to be all. Um, it does say that before uh, refusing to transport a, a large service animal or two service animals uh, that encroach uh, in, into another passenger space, the airline must first um, offer the passenger the opportunity to move to a seat in the same class of service where the animal can be accommodated if available. Um, and of course, all of these envision a circumstance in which, you know, an individual is traveling alone with their service animal or service animals. Um, uh, the, the airline uh, must also offer the passenger the opportunity to transport the animal in the cargo hold free of charge, uh, if, if that's the only option, other option, or uh, offer the passenger to uh, the opportunity to fly on a later flight uh, with more space. But airlines are free to have um, their policies. Uh, this is not prescriptive uh, to the airlines. So uh, the airlines, um, you know, generally um, are, you know, customer service uh, uh, oriented and uh, are looking and willing to uh, to uh, work with uh, with their customers. And and we've got uh, a very um, great uh, representative of an airline on this panel as well that'll talk about. Um, the airline perspective. Um, the other two, the other thing that um, the the new uh, rule addresses that um, may have caused some concern um, to folks um, is uh, that is forms. So prior to the new rule, uh, the department did not ex- did not explicitly say in the regulation how airlines are supposed to determine whether or not a specific animal um, poses a direct threat um, or is, is trained and may pose a direct threat. Um, and also, there was also a, a provision in the rule that permitted airlines to require documentation that an animal um, could um, either not relieve itself or relieve itself in a sanitary manner on a flight that's more than eight hours. Um, but the department didn't say how, um, w- what that, uh, that documentation um, looked like. The result was really a patchwork of things. So airlines were requiring um, veterinary uh, records, documents from uh, veterinarians. They had to be on specific airline forms. Each of them were different. If you were flying um, on an itinerary that involved two different airlines, you needed two different forms and two different requirements. There were restrictions on, on animal breed. Um, they ran the gamut. And um, this inconsistency was really problematic um, for um, service animal users. And um, one of the other things, too, is that you know there was an inconsistency between um, uh, 
individuals that had hidden disabilities and whether or not there were documentation requirements um, for those folks. So for individuals that had psychiatric service dogs, they were treated the same as individuals with uh, emotional support animals. Um, and an individual that, say, had a seizure alert dog uh, did not have any documentation requirements. And so uh, in efforts to uh, address all of this um, and to uh, make things more uniform for individuals, uh, the department uh, published uh, or put a requirement in there that uh, the only forms that an airline can require are DOT forms. Um, one form um, is a service animal air transportation form, um, which, um, and this is voluntary on the part of airlines. I believe most airlines, if not all, are requiring these forms of service animal users. Um, but uh, this, this form, on this form, service animal users are um, asked to attest uh, that their animals' vaccinations are current. Uh, it does not require uh, the veterinarian to attest to that. Um, the user attests to the fact that the animal has been trained um, and uh, to provide the name and contact information of the trainer uh, and acknowledge, uh, and this is important for, for fraud purposes, um, um, well, I, I, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself, acknowledge that they understand that they may be charged for any damage caused by their animal so long as the um, airlines charge passengers without disabilities to uh, repair similar kinds of damage. Um, the forms are really designed to both educate passengers on what is expected of a service animal uh, with res respect to the uh, animal's behavior and to seek um, the service animal users' uh, assurances that they uh, understand um, these expectations. Um, John, can I jump in? Can I jump in for a second here? Sure. Um, in, the, in the sake of time, I know there will be a lot of questions um, at the end about the accessibility of the form or the usability of the form and uh, the different procedures that that people are going through with the various airlines. Um, if if we can, um, I hope you can stay with us to take some questions at the end. I know you have some statistics uh, that you've been gathering. From feedback you're receiving uh, over the last six, seven months, uh, I think Megan has those. Um, would be good to share those with us uh, at the end. But is there something else you want to quickly point out now before we move on to the next speaker? Because I think they're going to yeah. be going over some of the same things. Sure. Um, yeah. And uh, my apologies for um, for taking up so much time. Um, the um, what. What I would like to say uh, just, just more is that um, the department has published um, sample um, accessible forms uh, on its website, um, but the airline um, is, is also required to have the forms available to you in an accessible form, and uh, they are the entity to which to um, submit those forms. So with that, I, I was uh, pretty close to done. Um, I will, I'll okay. close here and pass it back to you. Thank you so much. And Megan, I'm sure we'll hear from you later too. Thank you for being there. So with that said, I think the next uh, person to speak uh, here will be a representative of the airlines. We have uh, Ray Prentice with us, who many of you may be familiar with uh, from Alaska Airline. Um, Ray? Hi, everybody. Um, it's just, I'm really excited to be here. And thank you, LaVon, uh, for that excellent presentation. We might snag that for some uh, training here at Alaska Airlines. Um, 
First of all, I just wanted to mention a little bit about Alaska. We're the fifth largest uh, airline in the U.S. and have a large presence on the West Coast and a growing presence on the East Coast. We fly to Canada, Mexico, and Costa Rica as, as well. And we've just joined the uh, One World Partner Alliance. So we, we partner with 14 global airlines. So a little bit of plug there for Alaska. Um, we want you to fly us. We, we have a long partnership with uh, Guide Dog Users Association, American Council with the Blind, and a little plug for uh, Guide Dogs uh, because Guide Dogs for the Blind because we work with them a lot and I can prove it because I have this little puppy here. I'm showing a puppy on the screen that's a stuffed animal and I got this at the pick of the litter premiere. And by the way, I dropped some big bucks donated at that premiere for this little pup. So I have it. I have this little puppy on my desk. Um, a couple other things is uh, we partner with a lot of disability organizations, a few that I mentioned, but uh, many others. Um, and we have an unrelenting focus on safety, accessibility, and conclusion. Um, and, you know, a guest experience for all. And that means everyone. Uh, we have an external disability advisory board, an internal board, and an employee-driven business resource group called ACCESS. That's a group of employees with disabilities that help guide us. They're our shining light in terms of where, where we go and where we focus our effort. Um, and then we partner with autism, experiential events. Um, we have a blind low vision event in partnership with Guide Dogs for the Blind that we do um, as well. So just to kind of get into, um, you know, the new revised regs, um, thank you, LaVon, for the description. It was really good. So the great news is, you know, we have no more turkeys and pigs um, and a variety of uh, different species showing up on our planes. Uh, thank you, DOT, for that. That's really made a difference. Um, so what are our guests telling us? Uh, our guest, Alaska Airlines, I checked with our third-party partner that helps us process the service animal forms. And I'll just, I'll just get a plug in here. We work with Open Doors Org, so we have a disability organization helping us uh, process the forms. Our guests, for the most part, are saying that the forms are pretty straightforward. Um, not everybody is going to say that. I think members, uh, folks that have questions may feel, um, have different experiences, but we've been working a lot to make that user experience uh, comfortable, straightforward, and accessible. Uh, some say that it's not easy to locate this form on alaskaair.com on our website. So we're gonna be working on making that more easily to, easy to find. Um, and some people with self-trained service animals are not sure how to fill out the form because they're self-trained. So. Uh, we've been asked to create a FAQ on our website to provide more education and guidance to people with disabilities who use service animals. Um, so what are the issues? Uh, as LaVon mentioned, we are seeing former uh, individuals traveling with emotional support animals uh, that are now saying that their service animal, uh, that, that their animal is a service animal and that it's self-trained. Um, so we're struggling with that a little bit. Uh, we're up to pre-COVID levels in terms of uh, service animals traveling on us, although uh, guest numbers are about 20% below. So that uh, meaning that we're back to pre-COVID levels for the number of service animals flying, but we don't have as many guests. So it's causing us to question, maybe we've got a few people taking advantage. Um, and the other thing, some, not all breeders are, are kind of getting to understand the new rules and frankly are taking advantage of the new rules. What's that mean for your organization and, and your, your clients? That means that our frontline employees tend to struggle a little bit, you know, is this a legitimate animal or is it not? That said, these regulations are an improvement. 
They're helping us and we're committed at Alaska Airlines as well as the airline industry to partner with you and partner with DOT to find where the things aren't working and to make them easier for you. Um, so a couple of things, you know, uh, just a reminder, uh, LaVon, you course correct me here, but the forms, if you've ticketed 48 hours in advance, carriers have the ability to require those forms to be submitted and Alaska Airlines does require that. Um, and so it's all about the sooner you can submit the forms to the airline, it, the better it is for us, we can process them, we can get the comments in your reservation records, smooth things out, and there's just, it's less hassle for you and it's more efficient for us as a carrier. Now let's say that you have emergency travel and you just need to travel tomorrow. Um, the rule requires us to accept the forms at the gate um, and, we, and we have a process to do that. My understanding is all the carriers do as well. So we have a dual process. One is in advance, uh, 48 hours in advance, and one is um, emergency travel at the gate. Now in between, uh, once again, the sooner you can get the form submitted to us, we will make a, a good faith effort to process those forms as quickly as possible so that your trip is inter interrupted. What we want to do is avoid the people that have waited, not submitted forms. These are the former fraudsters that have taken advantage by showing up at the airport and hoping because we're busy, that will just rubber stamp and let the people fly. That's the downside. You know, you don't want to be lumped into um, our, our employees thinking that you're part of that crowd. Um, but I can tell you, the organization I'm speaking with today is not the problem. You, you, you folks are fantastic. Your animals are trained. They're behaving beautifully. We're out there to try to make sure that you have a seamless experience while at the same time we're trying to tackle some of these other issues that have cropped up. Um, now, I just wanted to quickly go through the experience on alaska.com, and I'm just going to talk you through it. It'll be pretty quick, and then, Ravi, you can just cut me short if we need to save a little bit of time here moving forward so we have Q&A. But <laughs> at Alaska Airlines, there's two ways to get to the form. You can go to alaska.com, and we one click away, we have an accessible services page. It's right on the home page, and you can click that and click service animal. You can get to the, you can get to the form and you can complete it. The second way is probably the most normal way, which is when you're looking to book a trip, you go and select a flight, you put your information in, um, and then about three steps into the process, you're gonna see an accessible services link on the page and you click that. Once you click that, you're gonna see a checkbox that says service animal documentation required. And it's a hyperlink, it's right there. And this isn't accessible, our website's accessible. You click that documentation required form and the DOT form that LaVon mentioned pops up. Well, excuse me, it pops up to a page that basically says, what would you like to do? And this is where we partner with Open Doors. It's called SATS. That's the name of the, the partner. Um, it's, it's an Open Doors um, product. And you can click, I want to get an ID form for my service animal, or I'm coming back to the site and I want to use a, a, I already have an ID form that's been so that means we've already approved your form. It's on record here with us and you don't have to complete it a second time. That's totally up to you if you wanna submit and get in our system or if you don't. So once you click, let's say you click, I wanna create, uh, I wanna submit a new form. You're just starting to fly with us. You click the box and it's got the information. It's the DOT form is right there and you complete it. And then you submit. And then you're gonna get a little pop-up that says, here's your ID and that's the, service animal ID form that you can use for this one trip or for future trips. 
Um, and then that has already popped into our system, working with Alaska and with Open Doors. Um, you will get notified your form's been approved. That typically happens within 24 hours, uh, sometimes sooner, sometimes a little bit later, but it always it, it's it's pretty prompt. Um, if there's any questions about the form not being completed, um, we'll reach out to you and say, hey, Teresa, you know, you, you forgot to fill out a particular blank. Can you complete the form? Uh, it, it's the customer service oriented process to get this complete. And then uh, you're notified that you're good to go. So what happens behind the scenes? Our reservation center goes into your reservation record and they document your special service request. And that's the, the letter code S-V-A-N indicating service animal. And it says documents approved. And that stays with your trip in your reservation for the entire journey. So that means if you were, if you have an itinerary, that means you're flying out uh, today and you're coming back in three weeks. You don't have to complete the form. It's in that particular reservation. That is good for the entire trip. And when you come back, uh, the authorization's in there. Um, that's it. So um, just a couple of final thoughts. We're here for you and we're not done monitoring the impact of these changes to our customers. Um, we'll continue working with you our airline organization, the trade organization is called Airlines for America. We have a committee on accessibility. We're committed. We get together. This is not competitive from an airline perspective, meaning we are working together to make this work for you. And uh, we have a great partner with the U.S. Department of Transportation, Lebanon and team, where we can share what we're hearing. And they, believe me, they share back what they're hearing with us as well. Um, we'll continue to fight fraud and keep untrained and dangerous service animals off our flights. We don't want your animal to be affected by an untrained animal that could interrupt your future and your independence. Um, we will continue to train and educate our staff and our guests on the new process. And we'll keep working on the usability and ease of submitting the form for you. So uh, whether you tell us on the, the questions here, you get back with, um, with Rabbi and team, let us know what you're struggling with and I can take that back to my team. And right. always forget, you're not alone. You can always ask for a complaints resolution official, whether it be in the contact center or out in the airport. These are folks that are trained to be an advocate for you. They know the regulations, the rule, and they're customer service oriented people. Don't hesitate to ask for help. So with that, I'm going to hand back off uh, to uh, to you, Robbie. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much, Ray. Appreciate that. And just to kind of uh, go over a couple of points that are critical so far for this conversation. Uh, first of all, we absolutely agree with you, and I think I speak for everybody, I'm sure, on this call and the audience that we are glad that DOT made that distinction between emotional um, animals and, and basically that that hopefully would help us in the long run to avoid the confusion uh, between service animals and ESAs. Um, also, the other thing you mentioned, Ray, is that airlines, and Levon mentioned that a little bit too, airlines are implementing this individually. And it's always good to check with your airline when you're flying because your airline procedures may be different from what Ray just described. And, and it doesn't hurt to check with them to see how they want things done. Thank you, Robbie. Um, I'm glad you mentioned that because the form is identical. We all use the form. The processes for the various carriers are a little bit different. Right. So yeah, to your point, look at the carrier website, who you're flying with. Don't hesitate to give a call and ask questions, and then we can talk you through that. And Levon, did I get anything really badly wrong regulation-wise, or <laughs> you want to course correct me? <clears throat> 
Not remotely wrong. <laughs> okay, thank you. Okay. And the last thing that Trey mentioned then that was important for all of us to keep in mind is that every airline has this CRO that uh, Ray mentioned or the CROW. Um, that's the complaint resolution officer. So you can ask for the CROW of your airline, whatever airline you're flying, right at the counter if there's a problem or over the phone um, if, if you need to as well. Um, so with that said, um, we're moving on to the next speaker from uh, Open Doors organization that is a disability um, rights organization in many ways. And it has a lot of experience with airlines and air travel, um, worked with DOT and with Alaska closely. Uh, and they have a possible uh, solution that Ray mentioned briefly to what we're dealing with here with, with the forms. And I'll let Eric talk about that. Eric? Hi, thanks. Uh, and thanks to uh, Ray and Levon and everybody at DOT before for all your help. I'm Eric Lipp. I'm the executive director of Open Doors Organization. It's uh, been a while since I've been at the ACB conference, but it's great to be back. Unfortunately, um, I'm back and we're not live in person. So hopefully next time we'll be live again. Uh, but it's great to be here. Uh, and this topic is obviously a, a subject that we've been speaking about for a long time, and the changes finally came, and I think that it's important that, uh, uh, that everybody understand them, you know, and know that every airline is different. Like Ray said, you should definitely check with the airline's websites with how the process goes, because each one's going to be different. And um, if you have multiple flight legs, you know, you might want to carry around the extra paperwork uh, so that you have it if you're on different carriers. Uh, one of the things that we're doing at Open Doors, I think everybody might be familiar with Open Doors. We're an advocacy group in travel and tourism. I think last time I was here talking a little bit about aviation at airports and accessibility at airports. We talked about like wheelchair pushing and how to get proper services and wayfinding. The good news is, is there's lots of good things going on for people who are blind or have low vision across aviation. Uh, and this, what we're talking about here today at the ACA, I think this was an important step in bringing everything to be a little bit easier for everyone and a little more clear for the whole world. Uh, I know for us, uh, we obviously were not anticipating to have uh, paperwork get involved in this whole process. Uh, but so be it that there is paperwork. And uh, for a long time, as many of you know, there's been paperwork when we travel out of the country. Uh, there's always been the need for certain, you know, to know what certain countries are going to need for paperwork and vaccinations and all of that. Uh, so when, as this whole thing was progressing, obviously Open Doors was thinking, and if many of you know or don't know that Pat Pound, um, she works a lot real closely with us at Open Doors, so we had been talking about what we can do uh, when this whole thing gets done to get, you know, to make it easy, obviously. We want, we know now that we needed to make it easy because this paperwork was going to be involved. So we jumped right to it, and uh, with the help of Pat, obviously, and some other folks, and um, I think... Ray in Alaska, we were the first ones to bring the, the DOT form in an accessible format. Uh, and it wasn't, you know, frankly, that difficult. It just took the time to sit down and go through it and do it. And we did that and we got it up with Alaska 
I want to say really quick, um, you know, I, I think maybe even before everything got going, uh, but the idea, because uh, I'm here to talk about uh, the service animal paperwork that we're working on with Alaska, Open Doors, as you know, we've started all uh, various uh, for-profits to satisfy the needs of people with disabilities, like Global Repair Group working on damages to wheelchairs and scooters to make things easier for people with disabilities. Um, and when the paperwork came out, Pat insisted that we get going really quick and get something that we're gonna make easy for people so that they don't have to carry around paperwork and it, it isn't such a big hassle. So really what we did was, is we have uh, created the uh, a place where you're able to fill out the DOT form in an accessible format. But it goes a little bit beyond that. Um, if you go out to Alaska Airlines, even if you're not flying, you're allowed to go out and sign up for the uh, for the for the number for your uh, for your specialized number. And what this what the the uh, the product of Open Doors? It's a product of our social entrepreneurship program. It's called Service Animal Travel Solutions. We call it SATS S A T S. And what it really is is it's a way to organize all of your paperwork for aviation, and it organizes it for the carriers as well. And just like we did with Global Repair Group, we're trying also, you know, on the side, we're going to try to snuff out some of the fraud that's going on. Um, and especially now with emotional support animals, uh, getting in line with the DOJ, it makes it a lot easier. And we can take emotional support animals out of the equation. And we no longer have to fight all of those fraudsters who are sending out the letters. Now we have some left. We've been researching them for years. We're not going to stop researching them. And now that we're working, we're able to see what kind of, um, you know, what kind of training and what kind of, uh, what kind of services uh, people are, are now uh, claiming that their service animals do. So it's a, you know, it's really, it's a fine line and we don't want to be intrusive to people. Uh, we're not asking about anybody's disability because all we're really asking is, is the form. We're all we're really saying is, is how to fill it out filling out the information, and then it, gives, it either gets approved or disapproved. If it's approved, then you can use that number on Alaska Airlines every time. You don't ever have to fill the paperwork out again. If you were to fly on Delta or Southwest, you have to fill out the paperwork. And probably on most of the carriers right now, not I'm pretty sure all of them right now, except for maybe Delta, I'm pretty sure you'll have to bring the paperwork every time you fly, you're gonna to have to redo it. You're gonna to have to fill it out and send it in. Um, I'm not positive what all the carriers are doing. I know that United is working on something. Um, and I know that multiple carriers are working on making it so that your paperwork can be stored inside your frequent flyer, kind of, uh, uh, you know, inside your frequent flyer uh, profile. Uh, but that's, you know, but not everybody's a member of everybody's frequent flyer program. And so for, in that case, you'd have to still have the paperwork. What we're so Eric, can, I, can, yeah. can, I, can I just ask you a couple of questions to clarify this a little bit uh, for the audience? Yeah. Um, so basically, you've set up this company, the SATS company, and airlines sign up with you. The, the traveler with the service animal can go on this website and register with you. They'll be given an ID number which then the airlines who are your partners in SATS would take as the Bible, essentially. That, okay, if, if this traveler has this number from SATS, then 
They're clear. They are a legit service animal. We don't have to check on any paperwork anymore. You then will keep that record in, in, in your database. And I believe you would remind the traveler for when the, 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 their vaccination, the dog vaccination for rabies is, is coming up, right? For renewal. Is that correct? Yep. Once you fill the paperwork out with us, yep. we, we have all that information stored. And then three months before your vaccination date is up, we'll send you an email then one month before, and then a week before, so that you know that you have to update your vaccination paperwork. And that would be the only thing you'd be responsible for after you file the paperwork with us. But right. we also, at the same time, uh, wanna work on collecting information from you if you wanna travel abroad to the UK. We're working with British Airways is also a carrier that we're working really closely right now with to create, when you fill out the paperwork with us, that that same paperwork will then flow over to your trip to Europe if you're going through the UK. And um, what about what about Canada and neighboring countries here? Good question, Canada as well. They have their new Canadian CTA came out with a law um, and this would this would satisfy theirs as well. So, so basically this, this paperwork is free of charge to the consumer that will sign up with you and all they have to do when they're booking a flight on your partner airlines, hopefully there'll be more than Alaska in the future, all they have to do is to put that ID number that you give them and that's it. They don't have to carry any paperwork. They don't have to show any paperwork at the gate. Hey, Eric. Uh, Eric, this is Ray. Um, once that ID is provided, I just wanted to clarify. So now all of a sudden you go to the website, you pick special service request. I'm traveling with the service animal. Remember where you had to complete the form the first time? You don't, you just put in this ID and then it will prompt you to say, what flights are you intending to take? And you plug in the flight numbers because we need to know that. You plug in the flight numbers in the service animal ID and we take care of the rest of it for you. And we, we just update your reservations record. So there's one very simple step, but it's an important step, you know, where you have to tell us where you're going, the flight that's number. Great. But I think that that's a, that's a relatively, Legitimate, <laughs> small detail, but I, th I think it's, it's manageable, relatively speaking, to the other option of carrying all these forms with you all the time. Uh, and, and Eric, you are currently working uh, to recruit other airlines to join this effort as well. Is that correct? Yep. We're really far along with a, a bunch of other carriers, um, including many foreign carriers, so that... Uh, okay. Hopefully, every, yeah, this will be a free service. Everybody can just subscribe. The airline subscribe, you fill out the paperwork, and then it's one time and it works for everybody. And hopefully it'll work for Canada. It will work for traveling to Mexico, the UK, Europe, uh, Southeast that Asia. Sounds, that that oh. sounds great. And we're basically, we, we're still in this transition, uh, trying to kind of pull all the loose ends together. And um Eric, if you don't mind, I'd like to just move us over to the next speaker and then uh, if you can stand by for questions because I think there'll be some questions as well for you. Anything else you want to add at this point? Nope, great. Thanks, everybody. Okay, great. Thank you, Eric. Okay, so the, our last and last speaker for today uh, is Sheila O'Brien from Assistance Dogs International, which is a trade organization for service animal um, trainers, uh, schools like Guide Dogs for the Blind. Uh, and it is international in scope, and they have um, they are also working on something of their own um, to uh, facilitate this process 
and they are in communication with ODO already. So I'll let Sheila talk about that. Sheila, are you there? Can you hear me? Yes. No, we can. Go for it. Okay. Very good. Thank you. Um, first of all, I'm Sheila O'Brien, and I'm the special advisor to the Guide Dog Foundation and America's Vet Dogs. So it's kind of nice that I can work very easily with both service dogs and guide dogs on the same campus. Um, I'm a, the chair of ADI North America, and that includes 79 accredited service dog training programs and 20 um, candidate programs working for accreditation. It also includes more than 16,000 accredited working teams throughout the United States and Canada. So it's a division of ADI International. Of course, there's other regions, but um, North America is the largest region. Um, in addition to that, I've worked in the assistance dog industry since 1978. I was one of the first hearing dog trainers because I had the skill of sign language. Um, I'm a charter member of ADI and I'm one of four still standing and working in the industry. And it's been an honor to have been able to see this industry grow and expand to meet the needs of those with more diverse uh, disabilities. And it's also been an honor to be able to contribute. So I thank you for inviting me today. Um, I've got a lot of history up here. So if anyone has any questions about the history of the service dog um, movement, call me or email me. Anyway, um, I want to talk about what Assistance Dog International has been doing with the airlines. Okay, we've been involved with Airlines for America for three years now. It started with working with them to get the Air Carrier Access Act aligned with the American with Disabilities Act. Okay, so we did all kinds of work together. Um, we did logos of support, having the, all the programs send in their logo to support a letter that was coming from A4A to the DOT to change this regulation so that we would not have to fly with, as you said, pigs, turkeys, whatever. Um, we also- Sheila, Sheila can, I, can I interrupt you for one second, just in- um to keep in track of time here to make sure that we're going to get some questions in. Can you okay. just help us now? If you so can, keep going don't mind me rushing you here. If you can uh, just briefly say what you've been doing with the mm -hmm. ID, uh, the ID project, and um, what the next step is here. The electronic ID, Sheila. Sheila, you're still there? I'm still here, but I okay. didn't. My internet connection is unstable, uh, they're telling me. Can can you just briefly uh, tell us what ADI is doing with testing the, with the electronic okay. ID right now? Okay, when, the electronic when, when, ID, when yes, I hope you can hear me. Interrupt yes. me if you can't. Um, okay. The electronic ID is a new way um, that we're working on through for ADI programs throughout the, the world and also IGDF programs so that you'll be able to have your documents in this ID. It's unable to be copied because on the front, there's some movement in it that doesn't allow uh, people to pirate it. 
I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but and would that be an, would, the, would that be an idea, an actual card that people would would have with them? Um, is it a physical card or an electronic they, ID? It would be an electronic ID, but mm-hmm. some people don't have the phones that can handle an electronic ID. ID, so they would have to go back to the the old way of a card. But and you, and you are working with some airlines today on yes. uh, on that. So so We're how is working, that working? We're working with A4A. We've mm-hmm. also been working with A4A on the accessibility of the forms, and we've created a chart that uh, you can access on the ADI website, especially if your program is either IGDF or, or ADI, which gives you whether the forms are accessible or not and the process that you have to go through. So, And it, it gives you the link to the, the airline. So it's been very convenient for a lot of our graduates and we've shared it worldwide and we encourage programs to share that with their graduates. It it really takes some of the problems out of flying because you can just look at that chart. We will will share a link to that with anybody who's interested as well. Uh, That's a great um, chart to actually tap into on an ongoing basis since the airlines are changing their process and they're developing it you know, day by day. And Sheila, just to, to go back to the electronic ID for a second, mm-hmm. I know this being tested in this country at the Guide Dog Foundation with some, with some consumers. And I know it's been tested in other countries as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we just heard from ODO and you know, you've been in contact with ODO recently uh, to kind of mm-hmm. Swap ideas and, and see how you can collaborate. Is that something you think you'll be working on so that there will be more of a unified solution that we can present to consumers and airlines? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Great. You Great. know, we, uh, with the international president was on a call, as was I, with ODO um, yesterday or the day before, and he agreed that it's better if we all work together to solve these problems. So, And I'm sure that uh, Levan at uh, DLT is happy to hear that as well. We need to facilitate this for everybody's sake. Um, so, Sheila, I, I hate to cut, to cut you cl- short right now. Uh, if you don't mind, just let us open up the floor for questions. We have about 20 minutes okay. left. And um, I'm sure, okay. just to kind of be, say this before we open up the lines, we're um, this is this is this meeting is not meant to provide uh, solutions. It's really a platform for conversation for us to hear from each other and talk to each other so that we can open up that communication and collaborate towards addressing any frustration that we may f- feeling and frankly to <laughs> celebrate a little bit um, the ACAA. I mean that took four years. To update it was a lot of work for a lot of people on this call and, and others around the country. Um, and thanks to DOT's leadership in this, we were able to come up with something that, uh, you know, it's not perfect, but we can we can work with this. Uh, so with that said, I hope that after today, uh, many of you now know these speakers and can connect with them, with each other, and feel free to contact us at Guide Dogs for the Blind. Uh, for any questions or comments to continue this dialogue and, and to work on this on this effort. So let's start with the questions. Please keep your questions brief. 
Um, we just heard from speakers. We just need questions and uh, let them answer your questions. So I, uh, I go ahead. Ben. Questions brief. Michael, you are now allowed to speak. Go ahead, Michael. Yes, thank you. Every time I log into Facebook, I see advertisements uh, saying, um, take your pet anywhere and basically selling harnesses and vests and formulas to get around everything you all are trying to do. My question is, given that that is happening and given all of the comments in passing that the presenters have made about, well, we're working to deal with the fraudsters, uh, with all of the emphasis on the ethics of social media, such as Facebook, not being allowed to uh, publish false information and do fact-checking, it seems to me like those ads are in violation of law and regulation and encouraging violation of law and regulation. And okay, let, I'd like let, to know if any efforts are being made to deal with that. Thank you, Michael. I'm, I'm going to answer that question since it's a bit off topic with our panel here. I want to focus on the ACAA as much as we can. But just to your point, uh, many of us, I'm sure, um, uh, GDUI would definitely, is definitely involved in some of this stuff, as is ACB National. Uh, but I can tell you that, yes, many of us are involved in addressing that issue. And to that point, in California, this week, we are working with the, the legislature to actually come up, hopefully the law will pass soon, to penalize anybody who sells those kind of certificates online. At least this will be a California-based uh, law, and we're hoping to address it in other areas as well. So I'm going to leave that here for now and move on to the next question. Um, my name is Mary Beth, and I just wanted to know whether or not um, you're going to be giving contact information, web addresses, and stuff like that at the end of this at the end of this session. Actually, if that's a great question, if we can, um, Levon can or, or Megan, can you uh, tell us what uh, what email or phone number you would like people to contact you at with concerns at DOT? Uh, yes, we have uh, Alex Tade on the line. Alex, can you provide uh, contact information for folks? Hey, Alex. Yeah, I'm just trying to call up the, the phone number right now. We do have a disability toll-free hotline number. Um, that number is 1-800-778-4838. And we can, call you, repeat, can, you, can you repeat that, Alex, please? Can you repeat that? Yes, it's one 800 778 Four eight three eight, and we also have on our uh, DOT website a complaint form, which is also can be used to file complaints, uh, ask for questions regarding any of our rules. That is on our website at transportation.gov/airconsumer. Great, thank you, Alex. Um, so, um, how about Alaska Airline? Um, you want to give contact, Ray, please. Uh, yeah, let me. Um, so, um, our we have a dedicated accessible services line at our contact center, our reservation center. It's 1 800 503 0101. You can also go to alaskaair.com and there's a contact us page and you can interact with us via chat, via email, um, or via phone. 
Um, if it's just related to sharing feedback about the forms related to Alaska Airlines, uh, my email address is ray.prentice at alaskaair.com. Great. Thank you, Ray. Um, Eric, ODO? Yep. Hi. You can always reach me at Eric, E-R-I-C, Lip, L-I-P-P, at Open Doors, N-F-P, like notforprofit.org, or you can reach Gina, G-I-N-A, at opendoorsnfp.org. Uh, she handles all of the paperwork for uh, SATs. Great. Thank you, Eric. And uh, ADR... Oh, excuse me, go ahead. Uh, ADI, you want to give us the website, Sheila? Yes, it's www.assistancedogsinternational.org. Thank you. And somebody start to talk. Is, is that, was that you, Alex? Or I, is there somebody with a question? Marsha, you have permission to talk. Go ahead. Yes, I've got two questions. One is if we fill out the form, can we just type our name as the signature? Or do we have to actually find a, you know, we have to actually sign it? Um, it seems I'm, like I'm going to ask Megan. I'm going to ask Megan or, or somebody from the DOT to, to tell us what they expect. Okay. Anybody would like to take that? Sure. Um, this is Megan at DOT. Um, so I don't know if you've had a, the opportunity to check out the sample form on uh, DOT's website, but we do uh, provide a mechanism for individuals to either type their signature or to uh, insert an electronic signature. So either is fine. And do airlines then have to comply with that or can they demand that the, the, this is actual signature? So Megan, the Megan, I can speak for, sorry to interrupt, I can speak for Alaska. We just, um, we take a, a type signature. You go to the form and you type your name in and we consider that um, your, your affirmation attestation. I can't speak for the other carriers, but I don't think we're out there in this area trying to make it overly difficult for our customers. Um, if you right. come out to the airport and it's last minute travel and you show up and you complete a form out at the gate, we will either have you uh, help you with an online version of the form or we have paper forms that can be completed at the gate. And that's where, you know, you need to sign it. And I know that has come up with other consumers as well, uh, Megan. So clarification from the OT on this would be helpful uh, coming from the top, so to speak. Sure. So um, the reason that we allowed both a type signature and an electronic signature is because we heard from when we were uh, doing the form creation process to make it make, and we were testing to ensure that it, it was accessible, we heard from a number of individuals um, uh, with vision impairments who indicated that the process for obtaining a digital signature itself was not accessible, but some folks had already undergone the process and they thought it was easier to use their digital signature if, some, if, they, if someone helped them um, already to create a digital signature. So we wanted to uh, satisfy both camps and um, based on our research, the text, typing a text signature uh, was perfectly sufficient. So we were comfortable with um, our form, allowing that as an option to uh, just type in your signature. Great. Okay. So it, it can be either one is acceptable. Thank you. Yes. All right. Next, next question. 
Thank you. This is Melanie Brunson, and I wanted to ask a question related to something that hasn't been discussed, discussed much yet. Um, there are a lot of travelers, especially seniors, who are not yet comfortable or with or even able to fill out forms online. And I would like to know what is being done to ensure that those folks have an opportunity to fill out their forms, get their forms completed in an Thank you, Melanie. Good to hear your voice here. So again, I'm going to call on DOT to see if you're uh, getting feedback about this or what your thoughts is on this. Megan, do you want to take that one or do you want me to? Um, sure. I was just going to start off by saying that um, not only does the rule require that each airline have the form available at each airport that they serve, but a passenger can also request um, a hard copy of the form from the airline under the rule as well. Okay. Ray, anything you want to add to that? That's consistent with what we do. So I'm, I hope okay. I got a smile on LaVon and Megan's face. <clears throat> yeah, that's great. The only thing that I would add, this is LaVon Chapman, is that uh, the regulation specifically uh, says that airlines must assist uh, passengers at the airport who need assistance with completing DOT forms so long as it's not a uh, undue burden or fundamentally altering the airline's program in some some fashion. So there is a provision in the rule that uh, requires that that assistance at the airport. And um, just going along with that a little bit more. Um, so how do you recommend a senior approach this? Uh, just go to the airport and say, here I am, I need help with this. I can't fill it out myself. Or what, what do you suggest? The advice is always to go to the airline first and uh, explain the situation to the airline and request assistance on that. Um, there is a, uh, of course, uh, requirement in the rule, as I mentioned, but um, airlines are working through this. Um, uh, Ray, do you, uh, you want to add anything further on that uh, in terms of uh, what advice you would give to an individual who is a senior? Yeah, I, I think right along the same lines uh, that Megan and what you mentioned, Levon. Um, our contact center are really good about helping talking people through how to use the form. But, you know, my mom, for example, would struggle with that. So I think uh, the airport and the paper version is probably good. But I am going to take this back to my internal team to just focus um, a little bit more and look into the aging population, make sure we, we've got this nice and tight. Yeah, we have heard from some consumers who really had bad experience when they showed up at the airport and basically they were told, we're too busy for this. We don't have time for that. And they they were, you know, treated rudely. And it was a big challenge. Um, and in, in, in the bottom line is whether uh, customer service can help people on online or over the phone, the form still needed to be signed uh, physically. Um, so some assistance at the airport is still uh, important and necessary. So I would urge those who are listening here and, and uh, others who you may know to um, maybe you know contact the OT if things aren't working well so that they are aware of it and can follow up with airlines. Um, hey, Robbie, Robbie I do have a, a tip or two. Um, number one, the sooner that the customer, the, the traveler can interact with us, the better. So mm -hmm. if somebody's struggling, um, it's better to call us at the reservation center in advance of travel as opposed to showing up. If you go out to the airport, we ask everybody to show up early enough to have these conversations. Sometimes it's a last minute at the gate before the flight's leaving, which could cause a result like what you heard, which is we don't 
I, I, I would hate to have somebody say we don't have time, but if somebody shows up late right. to the gate, that could be the case. So work with us, give us as much time as possible. In the contact center, we can comment a reservation with any type of um, circumstance. And when the customer gets out to the, to the airport, just reference, reference that the notes, um, I was told the notes are in my reservation record. So it's all about helping us kind of communicate through the, through the travel cycle. Um, that's my thought. That's great. Thank you, Ray. Yep. And I just, I also wanted to reiterate too that um, airlines are required to mail the forms to passengers upon request if the passenger requests it before travel. So if a person wants to make sure that they show up with the air, at the airport with a hard copy of the form, they can request the, that the airline mail them the form in advance so that they can fill it out and bring it to the airport. Right. Thank you, Megan. Great. All right. Next question. So, Ellen, you have permission to talk. My question is, I'm really excited about this electronic ID thing. I think that will simplify a lot. Um, and when will we be able to actually start? Um, so there are two different things. ODO is already working. It's functional. You can sign up with them. And uh, as far as ADI is concerned, Sheila, you want to say yeah, um, right Right now it's being trialed. I mean, it's been trialed in Australia. Um, it's going to be trialed in Germany. And um, it's being trialed here in the U.S. Um, at America's Vet Dogs and the Guide Dog Foundation because we have both kinds of, you know, we have those with guide dogs and those with service dogs. And it, it's going to take some time because there are a few glitches on the guide dog side. So I heard yesterday, but um, they are working on it. Um, it's going to be a great thing. Each program is going to be able to manage it. So if your, your um, dog passes away or has to be retired and you get a new dog, then the program where you got that dog from is going to be able to change it up for you. Cool. So, it, it is. It's going to be a really cool thing. And uh, unfortunately, I'm not really tech-like. So, but it's going to be great. And, and I think the airlines will endorse it with open arms because they're already well, very excited about it as well, if it can't be duplicated. So, And part of this is also your collaboration, future collaboration with ODO to see how the two... Um, Concepts can be merged as well. So there's uh, some technical work to be done here. So, Alan, but we'll yes. keep you updated on this. Yeah. And hopefully, we can host another panel in the near future for an update as well. Thank you for the question. I have Next a question. question. This, is, this is Teresa. <laughs> I have a question for Eric. I'm wondering would it be helpful for you know folks who are listening to this to connect with their. Um, you know, their favorite airlines, if it isn't Alaska, which how could that be, but, uh, but, but they fly, um, could they encourage those airlines to sign up with Odeo? Would that be helpful in getting more airlines hooked up um, with the forms that Alaska uses as well? That just makes so much life so much easier. Would, it would make great sense. And then it's going to be really easy eventually with ADI, where you'll just have the one number for everything and you mm. can travel anywhere freely in your paperwork you won't have to fill anything out and that's the ultimate goal yeah that mm. open doors with adi we can put our 
work together um, and get all the service animal users, whether they're self-trained or trained by a group that isn't one of the majors, uh, get them properly, you know, into the system. Okay, we have another three, three, four minutes here before we wrap it up. So, any uh, Charlene, one? you have Remaining permission. Question, Charlene? Charlene, you have permission to talk. Yes, I was unable to find remember where the form was or if it was under FAA or or and then found I thought it was FAA, found it was DOT. So I did a web search under with um, a service dog form, and I was appalled to find that several of these fake companies that will for a fee certify your dog to be a service dog. And I'm wondering, is there any way to prevent some of these companies from advertising, you know, being in existence because they are breaking the law? I'll, I'll just address that. You know, one of the things we're doing is, is at open doors and we did it with the emotional support as well as, as we see these come in, we are able to uh, contact these uh, you know, these providers and it's, it's been in the past, hopefully we'll be able to flag them and know who they are and be able to make sure that they aren't, they aren't passing off, uh, you know, fake paperwork. We are, it's going to be much harder for them to, to run from a disability rights advocacy group than it might be from other people, but we are going to go after them. We're going to find them and we're going to put as big a stop as we can to this. And by working through our system, we'll be able to keep a good solid database of the proper training uh, people who are qualified as trainers. And so that we can really snuff out any kind of emotional support animal turning to a service animal and all that kind of different stuff uh, and pets in cabin and things like that. So we'll hopefully get a handle on it. I think we can get it down. I really do. I have, I have good hope for everybody. I promise you guys we're working on it. Hey, I would just add, um, I would add one thing, you know, and, Levon and, and the DOT team, you know, the rules previously allowed us to, um, you know, not allow animals that are not trained to be in a public environment, uh, including a busy airport in, in an airplane. Uh, but the new regulations enforce that even further. But, you know, people can fake documentation, but, you know, it's pretty hard to fake good service animal behavior. And, the carriers are doubling down in terms of just making sure they're observing behavior, identifying that. And, you know, that's one thing that's easier to do, which is to see these animals that are just misbehaving and, and they don't meet the protections um, of the rules. So that's, that's something all the carriers are working on and are trained pretty, pretty a lot on that. Also, if I could just add, Assistance Dog International actually is working with individual airlines so that they can tell a real service dog from one that is fraudulent by its behavior. And, and the, the whole industry agrees, even if it is a trained service dog from ADI or IGDF, sometimes they have bad days and they might poop in the airport. They shouldn't fly that day. It's just common sense. Right. So um, the airlines are really uh, taking advantage of our training skills, and I'm very happy about that. So that should help, too. Right. Thank you, Sheila. Um, just to wrap things up a little bit here. Yes. So uh, any of you uh, want more information to be put, keep kind of updated on what's going on with anything you've heard today? I'm sure any of our speakers would, would be happy to uh, be connected with you. 
Um, they're great advocates all around, and uh, they've been in the field for many, many years. And if you need uh, any further contacts or to connect with us, feel free to reach out to me. My email is on that invitation, rdow at guidedogs.com. And we'll be happy to keep you updated. And we'll be doing more of these events um, in the near future as well. And this um, is Katie. I, I have our closing CEU code when you're ready. One other thing, Katie. Uh, I want to invite everybody in the audience to also check in with uh, Guide Dogs for the Blind tours this week at the convention. Uh, starting tomorrow, we're having live tours of our campuses for any of you who are, who are interested in learning more about GDB. Um, this will be led by our outreach team going to different departments over the next week. Uh, all you need is just to tap into the, the link and just sit back and watch the show and interact with the staff uh, life. So hopefully you can take advantage of that. Thank you all for, for being here today. Right. Thank you to our panel. And we appreciate your help and support and look forward for further collaboration. Katie? Yes. So the closing code for today is 14862. Again, that is 14862. Thank you. And thank you to GDUI and to ACB. Have a great convention. Yes. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Rabia. And thanks, amazing panelists. Yay.